0: Lanier Richardson, today's guest, is the CEO of the Chicago Trend Corporation, which recently launched the Trend Fund to purchase shopping centers and create 1,000 diverse owners of commercial real estate in majority black communities, strengthening them. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Lanier, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I am so thrilled to connect. I you're such a big deal. I'm so grateful that you would make time for this conversation. I've been wanting to get you on the, for the show for a long time.
1: Well, I'm, I'm pumped to be able to spend be a, in a conversation with you today.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, what you have been doing at Chicago Trend is truly impressive. Uh, and I, I just want to give you an opportunity to tell people a little bit about
1: what you've been doing there, what you've accomplished. Yeah, so uh, Chicago Trend, I'm the CEO of Chicago Trend, it started in 2016 with uh, significant grant support from the MacArthur Foundation and Chicago Community Trust. Over time, we got uh, philanthropic support from everyone from the Rockefeller Foundation, Surgeon Foundation, J.P. Morgan Chase, and others. Uh, the goal was to strengthen neighborhoods by focusing on commercial corridors. Uh, that your first impression of a neighborhood is your commercial corridor even if the housing is strong if you see boarded up liquor stores uh you know storefronts you know multiple dollar stores check cashing you have an impression of the neighborhood so our initial work was investing you know 2 million dollars largely with black entrepreneurs in neighborhoods and black real estate developers to make the commercial corridor better Uh, That has been the, you know, the origin story of our work. As you know, over the last uh, two years, we've now bought four shopping centers in partnership with over 130 Black, local, and small impact investors. It it really is a
0: game changer, isn't it? Uh, When we think about what, what we so often call redevelopment becomes kind of a, a gentrification problem as the residents and people in a community are sort of boxed out of the improvements in a
1: community, right? Yeah, so much of of life, maybe, business, and maybe even community development is about timing, right? There's nothing as powerful as an ideal's time has come. Somebody famous said that at one point. Look, even... 10 years ago, people didn't talk as intentionally about inclusive economic growth and inclusive economic development. And it took George Floyd to be murdered, and in addition to a long list of other people of color, for folks to intentionally, without apology, be able to say, we got to come up with racial wealth gap closing strategies, and strategies specifically focused on majority Black neighborhoods or creating opportunities for Black investors and Black entrepreneurs. The fact that that's all come together in this time, and it's been my passion work for 30 years, and I can say it without apology and do it without, uh, you know, reservation or hesitancy, I'm having a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. It it is great to see. And,
0: uh, you know, obviously, you've done this work with some amazing partners, but you're reputation is is burnished by some of the work you do. You're uh, an an associate or adjunct professor at uh, Rutgers. Tell us a little bit about your
1: work there. Yeah, I'm a full professor at Rutgers. I've been there for nine years. It's called a professor of professional practice. Uh, I uh, teach MBA students how to see value in urban and underserved places, how to come up with business solutions to urban problems, and business models that can operate in urban uh, environments. Uh, I also lead our Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development that works with entrepreneurs. We now work with over 800 entrepreneurs who are 70% are people of color, over 60% are women. Our goal is to get them above a million dollars of annual recurring revenue, because we had a professor who did some research that said, you know, more entrepreneurship, just like more home ownership, Brings vitality, new anchors, you know, new role models, new revenue, you know, to a community, and that's what we focus on. Yeah, one of
0: the tricky dynamics that I think uh, we're sorting out, and I think you found a, some clarity around this. Maybe you can help us think through the right approach to this. But um, the average wealth uh, among Black households in this country is tragically much lower than the average wealth of white families. Uh, And so part of what we need to wrestle with is how we get white people, to be kind of specific about this, to invest in black communities black businesses in ways that benefit those communities how would yes. you guide us on this theme it seems to me that it, it isn't altogether straightforward and easy
1: yeah it's it's not but here's the here's what hit me like a ton of bricks one morning when we were at home in 2020 2020 for me i called it Pandemic protest and political pandemonium. That was my PPP, right? But <laughs> yeah. what hit me one morning, one morning was there was all this discussion about closing the racial wealth gap. And there was discussion about, you know, in some respects that there was white guilt. We want to, you know, we see the um, the challenges of systemic inequality and racism in America. And what hit me like a ton of bricks was. Wealth is created by owning assets, assets that generate revenue and assets that have the potential to appreciate over time. Maybe those assets have some tax advantages as well. So if we're going to close the racial wealth gap, we have to create strategies that help more people of color own assets, whether that's businesses, or some type of intellectual property, or I spend a lot of my time around commercial real estate. Right, So home- owning your home, owning a business, owning commercial property, owning other assets that generate revenue and hopefully appreciate over time. To me, when you find philanthropically motivated impact investors, whether that's a small individual with $10,000 or $2,000, or a big foundation that has 5 or 6 billion dollars in it, you know and is doing grant making and program related investment or some family office or some family right investing in strategies that help more people of color own assets and doing that an in investment in a way that says hey i'm not asking for a grant you know in some strategies i'm not asking to be paying full market rate But make the neighborhood strong. Come up with a strategy that makes more people owners. And if you give me my money back and there's five less people murdered and 10 more people go to college and life expectancy increases by 10 years, boy, I've got a quadruple bottom line. I got my investment, I got an investment return, and I have all these other social impacts. That's the person that I have been working to connect with individually and institutionally. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I I look forward to thoughtfully digesting what you're teaching me. Uh, and it's one of the great things about my podcast is I get an opportunity uh, when uh, I publish to go back and listen and thoughtfully extract wisdom. And so I, I look forward to that. Um, yes. Lanier, you, you have been extraordinarily successful in, in so many ways. Uh, I genuinely admire what you have done uh, and accomplished and hope in so many ways to emulate you. Um, Thank you. What do you see as your superpower?
1: So that's a great question. Uh, so let me tell you just a few things um, that hopefully will connect the dot on that question. Um, A, um, you know, I hate arrogance, right? My mother used to say, there's no better or worse, it's different. So anything that feels like arrogance is, um, yeah, it bothers me, A. Mm -hmm. B, being able to see value in people and in places that other people overlook or undervalue, that's a strategy that I've honed and developed over time. So someone will say it's too hard to do a deal over there, or those people would take too long to educate them, or they're too hard to deal with, or it's going to take forever to get their approval. That's the patience of connecting, of informing, of educating, of negotiating, right? In the boardroom, in the back room, in the out, wherever it takes, right? On the park, parking lot. That's work that I uh, enjoy doing. And then finally, you know, thank you for your remarks about you know, being remarkably successful, but you know, I've had all the highs and lows of entrepreneurship. I was a young entrepreneur of the year when I was in my 20s, recognized by the SBA, and then I miraculously failed, right? In a fire sale, I had to sell my first company, right? I had to figure out a year, it's 18 months, how I would both keep my reputation, but be able to rebuild my career. Right, that wiping out and and experiencing both the you know the the agony of people saying you know of disrespect, right, the disbelief, uh, but also the subtle grit and confidence that hey, I wiped out, but I can come back. And so to be here at this point doing passion work with those three things. Recognizing what it means to fail and understanding all of the, you know, I got battle scars and war wounds to show that, right? The, you know, the absolute uh, abhorrence of arrogance, combined with the patience to see value in people and places, that's some combination. If you want to call that a superpower, you know, that's what gets me up and gives me energy every day.
0: Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That that is. Really, um, a, a powerful thing that I, I, I see, and as you think about that superpower, you know, kind of developed over a career of, of, like you say, some highs and lows. What, what do you see is how you now are able to use that? Make do you have a an example of how you've used that recently to good effect?
1: Can you point yeah, so to it, I uh, work with entrepreneurs, all in and, and communities, you know, of all else. I work with startup entrepreneurs whose ideas seem unachievable. I work with entrepreneurs who have old economy ideas that seem like they will never be profitable, right? Uh, my job is not to tell them that their baby is ugly. My job is to figure out how to help them right? No matter where they are and no matter what their vision is. It's not my job to be judgmental, right? It is to say, here's the strategies. If you're trying to be profitable, if you're trying to attract capital, here's the best practices. But it's not my job to be judgmental, A. B, uh, it's patience. The work has a certain urgency about getting stuff done, about closing the racial wealth gap, about changing neighborhoods. But it requires a patience. This work is not fun. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not fast, right? It's and and a lot of times not fun. You're dealing with individuals and different agendas and biases and you know things that you think logically should happen that seem illogical, and you just gotta persevere and continue to communicate and to continue to manifest, like acting as if this is gonna be happening, and um, the patience is. Over time, economic development is evolutionary, not revolutionary. So if you stay for the evolution, you know, hopefully we'll get to celebrate the revolution at some point because there'll be a body of work of communities and of people that are better off.
0: Yeah. Well, this is uh, profoundly important stuff. Uh, You embedded in some of your comments here some advice, some counsel Patience and and uh, you know acting as if and, and that's good stuff. Is there any other counsel you'd give people to learn to develop to employ your superpower?
1: Yeah, only other thing I tell entrepreneurs all the time, and this was um, that the work has to, it has two elements: is the narrative and the numbers, right? So it's about the story you tell. Here's what I'm trying to do, here's why, here's the vision, you know, here's the impact of the work. But the numbers have to pencil as well, right? If it's not financially viable, it's not sustainable, right? I've seen many entrepreneurs who wanted to do good in the world not be able to either raise capital or operate in a way that generate revenue above expenses and to be profitable, and you just run out of steam, right? And so the, to me, the, the optimal innovation has a social impact element and a narrative around solving a problem, making people and places better, but it also has to be profitable. And, uh, oh, it has to have a hope of making a profit. It doesn't have to be profitable day one, but it has to have a hope of making profit uh, and, you know, generating a return on investment over time, you know, at, at some point to be self-sustaining.
0: Well, that, that is a, a really important lesson. And, and it's, wouldn't you say from your experience in and around nonprofits that at some level it's true even for a nonprofit?
1: It is. I mean, you know, you know, more and more nonprofits are being uh, given the mandate of generating some earned income Uh, and, you know, foundations. I have I've been fortunate to have great philanthropic partnerships, multi-year philanthropic partnerships, because you got to demonstrate impact. Right. And sometimes that feels like you're selling chicken dinners every year, you know, to be able to raise money for your programs. But to the extent that you can show impact. Uh, And, you know, again, wise use of capital. Here's the grant money we're receiving. Here's the earned income we're generating. Here's how we're managing that in terms of our expenses, staff and other program-related costs. And then ultimately, you know, here's how we're showing impact. And in, you know, nonprofit world, impact is the profit, or you can make that argument. Um, You know, you can be self-sustaining. It's funny for me, I never really wanted to be a poor nonprofit executive, right? Also never really wanted to be a billionaire, right? I wanted to be somewhere in between. I wanted to be doing good work, mission-oriented work, generating enough revenue to live the lifestyle that I wanted to live, right? And to do that without apology, right? But And so it just depends. Every person has to make that decision for their own. Some people making $50,000 a year is great. Some people making $500,000 a year. Some people think I got to make $5 million so I don't feel like I'm accomplishing what I go. And that's all personal, right? That's what I'm saying. It's not the $5 million earner is not better than the $50,000 earner. Back to my mother's quote, they're just different, right? But if you're impacting the world and doing it in a way that is, you know, self-sustaining and meaningful, uh, hopefully you have a happy life and an impactful track record of of delivery. Well, thank you.
0: Uh, Lanier, you've just been so powerfully uh, insightful and helpful. I can't thank you enough. I'm grateful for uh, your insights. Um, you know, you, you've accomplished so much. I, I, I am just eager to go back and, and kind of digest and re- reprocess some of the things that you've taught us and uh, look forward to sharing this with the audience. Um, before we, we wrap up, would you take just a minute and make sure that people know how to learn more about your work, you know, if, if, social media links or websites, yeah. Uh, How can people connect with you? Well, well, thank
1: you for the opportunity. So I am most active on social media on on LinkedIn, and it's just Lanier Richardson. Uh, I think LinkedIn gives me the opportunity to sort of tell my story, share information, create messaging, and create contact. So Lanier Richardson on LinkedIn is my preferred social media platform. Uh, Our our business, Chicago Trend, is chicagotrend.com. and Chicago Trend is the entity that's doing community development, our uh, retail uh, development work, owning shopping centers. You know, started our crowdfunding platform. We now have a you know, fund that we're trying to get to fifty million dollars of philanthropically motivated impact investors. So, if there's some of those folks in here, let, you know, please, uh, you know, find me on LinkedIn or at chicagotrend.com. And then, in supporting my work at uh, with entrepreneurs. It's Rutgers Business School, and it's just business.rutgers.edu, or it's a Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development, so business.ruckers.edu slash cued, C-U-E-E-D. And so, uh, again, I have a full uh, menu of, of of activity, but it gives me a lot of energy to get up every morning.
0: You know, fantastic. Lanier, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We wish you every success in your efforts to uh, help develop uh, Black communities and make the world a better place.
1: No, thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it.
0: All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show twice each week. We host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit DevonThorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.